Good evening, and welcome to Lucas and Matthew's Science Fiction Sanctuary, where we discuss and analyze the science fiction cinema of past, present, and future. Today is the German masterpiece by director Fritz Lang. It is 1927's Metropolis. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the Pantheon of Mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. In the year 1927, Humanity imagined a dark future, where enormous cities filled with vehicles are ruled over by a rich financial class, while the working class toils beneath the ground. Thank God it's nothing like that. No, we get to live in electromagnetic soup, too. (laughs) (laughs) Radiation everywhere. Yeah, because they they thought radiation was awesome in 27. You could get, like, barium health drinks. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's, one, there's one industrialist who's like, I drink three every day, and then he, like, died of cancer so hard by the mid-1930s that they had to put him in a lead-lined coffin. Extraordinary. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember the guy's name, but it is a thing. You can look it up. Uh, we're going to be a little classier than that today now that I've... Now, I was going to say, let's that, start that, this podcast by <laughs> mocking a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> he did trip Barry. But also, anyone we mock today is going to be dead, because this is an old-ass film, so... <laughs> but we're not going to mock the people of this film much, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, we're, we're trying to get classy, man. This is uh, 1927's Metropolis. Is this the first science fiction film? Uh, no. Okay. I would I would give that to George uh, Millais. I probably said it wrong, because I don't know French, but um, Trip to the Moon. Okay. Yeah. We, we, and I'm, I'm talking feature length as well, because I know there were oh, like some fe- shorts feature and shit. feature length. Huh. There were some like Nickelodeon shorts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. This might be the first I've heard it length. called that, but I don't know if that's just because it's the popular one. And... I doubt there was a longer one than this one. There definitely wasn't a longer one. <laughs> it was a long film. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a modern thing, but... <laughs> the way I came to it, though, uh, the thing with this movie is it premiered, uh, I think it was about 150 minutes... Um, in 1927. In Germany, right? Yeah. And got some raw reviews. And uh, I, I, I actually did some research. Um, I did a little. There were, you're supposed to, at that time, you're supposed to make three copies of the negative, which they did. Right. Uh, one was used to make the final cut. Uh, one was sent to America, hmm. where um, Paramount chopped it up to little bits, which was the one we saw for the most part. Hmm. And... Uh, then UFA, the German Film Commission, apparently made edits twice. Huh. And the one that we saw mostly until about two, the year 2000 was a 93-minute cut. 
which the Nazis made <laughs> because they wanted to take out anything about communism. Yeah, there will be a lot of talks, I suspect, of Nazis and communists in this. <laughs> yeah. talking about a German film from the 1920s. Yes. So. Um, of course, directed by Fritz Lang. Um, how familiar with, are you with Fritz Lang? I have seen Metropolis twice. There you that go. That is my familiarity with Fritz Lang. Have you and seen... read some interviews and stuff. Okay, have you seen M? No. Okay. Because um, Fritz Lang, he, he was invited to actually head the Nazi Film Commission because Hitler loved this movie. Yep. And um, once he was offered that film commission, he ran off to Hollywood. Well, he, he said he almost quit films, right, when he saw that. Yeah, yeah, but he, he, that's when he decided it would be a good time to leave. I think he probably, I think he had a Jewish grandmother or something as well. So mm. he, um, Joe Balls also loved this film. Right. He said, oh, this is the film that will make the working class rise up like we want them to. Yeah, that's, that's why they invited Long, because yeah. he was so, so much into this one. Um, the screenwriter, uh, Theoban Harbaugh, I believe, um, if I'm, we're going to kill some names today, probably. Yes. Um, she was married to him uh, in the 20s, so she, she wrote the novel. I was going to say, first. she the novelist as well, right? Yeah, they, they came up with a scenario together, she wrote the novel, right? and then they worked out the screenplay, which was subsequently ripped into little bits and pieces. Okay. So it's worth noting, uh, for this, the story of this movie is quite incoherent for quite a long time. Um, for example, hell is not in the movie at all. Yes, because her name was too close to the word hell. Yeah. She was cut from the American version. Right. So she's a huge part of the motivation of the two lead, like, men who drive this plot, so... <laughs> the cut, the cut that I always saw, and I, I want to talk about that one a little bit more, um, jo Josephat? Josephat, yeah. The fired, like, secretary of, of the, um... The Freda. Yeah. And the the um Freder takes the machine and the, the worker runs away. He's got a number, he doesn't have a name. Right. He keeps showing up in the movie and he doesn't show up after that in the cut that went around for years. Oh the the thin man? Oh no, the Josephat doesn't show up after Josephat doesn't show up once he's once he's, caught, been fired. once he's caught in the steps and says, Don't you know what it feels like to be fired or right, what yeah, it yeah. means to be fired by your father? He never shows up in the cut again. <laughs> Whereas he shows up a lot in the actual movie. Yeah. And then, um, like I said, when he takes the, the clock machine thing from the worker, that worker never shows up again until he takes the bullet for Fre Freighter. So in the cut that I always saw, it's like suddenly one of the workers takes the bullet for him, but he looks like him for some reason. Oh, <laughs> so right. it becomes completely incomprehensible. I don't remember, even in this version, that was not like a huge plot. It's not a huge part, but he runs off, he, he has the clothes, he yeah, goes yeah. to the pleasure district of Yoshiwara, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, but he comes back and saves Freighter's life. So he, at least he has an arc where in the original cut he just kind of vanishes for the rest of the film, until that one moment where he shows up again for no reason, looking completely okay. different. So you wouldn't make the connection anyway. Right. Um, the other thing I really want to hit on, and, and I will give you a moment for your thoughts too, is the music. Mm. Um, the score is quite good, you know, it sounds like Wagner whatever, or Tchaikovsky Yeah, after stuff. I watched it, a couple of the tunes were in my head afterwards. It, it's well done, but the one, the, I, I got this movie, my dad bought it in the back of a Kmart in like 1986. Um, you know, it was public uh, domain for quite a long time. But mm. one, it looked like it was, it was just blurry and looked like it was on tissue paper. Like the whole thing looked like it was filmed on tissue paper. Um, it was all sped up a little too much. Right. So it went around like this. Yeah. And, and the music, it was, 
even more public domain than the movie. So the whole movie was and that does it again. Sorry, I know that was long, but I remember it from 30 years ago. It sounded like the battle music from like a JRPG. <laughs> I know. And then it goes into the um, it goes into like some dramatic like again probably actual Wagner for a few minutes, and then goes back to this little tinkly piece. So that's that's how I saw this movie the first several times. Um, Before I watched it to record this podcast, I had seen it once, maybe more than once. My dad owned a VHS copy. But it was so long ago, I can't remember what soundtrack he had. Very possibly he had that 80s redone version, which we will presumably talk about. Oh, um, we'll talk about it a little more later, but that is Giorgio Moroder's nice 1983 guy. cut. It's color-tinted. Um, it's 83 minutes, but at the time was the most comprehensive one because... Uh, it's he, shorter because they cut out the interstitials for subtitles, right? And he sped up the footage a little bit. Okay. So, um, it's possible the cut I saw actually was his cut, just with the tints and music taken out and mm. made more public domain. I don't know. I never saw that till last night, but eh, I guess we'll get into that a little more later. Did you, I assume you didn't watch all of it last night. Oh, God, no. I told you not to watch all of it. I flipped through to some scenes that I remember, that I remembered when I watched the original version. Uh, some bits where it uses, like, synths and stuff I actually really liked. No, honestly... But if the you... bits where it had, like, pop songs... <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if you take the Marauder cut, um, one, there's no reason to watch it now because you can watch the like 2010 restoration. Mm. I don't know if I gave you the 2002 or 2010 restoration, but both are pretty watchable. Oh yeah, it seems watchable to me. Um, but uh, the so there were a couple the scenes which had only recently been discovered. It would suddenly change aspect ratio and be a bit shit looking. I think you had the 2010 one then. Okay, cool. But uh, which is the most complete one? But the Marauder was. Uh, it, if you if you say take. Turn down the volume and put on a few nice, you know, some groovy music that you want to hear. It might work. But yeah, man, Freddie Mercury and Loverboy probably don't go well with this movie. Yeah, well, someone in the comments had put, like, the timestamp of the Freddie Mercury song. So, of course, I clicked on that. (laughs) But then other bits, it was just, like, 80s sci-fi synths, and they fit really well. Yeah, but it did get the, um, I think it got, is it the Golden Turkey? Which is the one they give to bad movies? Raspberries? What is it? There's the Razzies, but yeah, I think Golden I think they gave. The I think one. yeah, I think they gave it a Razzie. Nice. Uh, not because of the movie, but because of the treatment of the movie. And um, Freddie Mercury's Love Kills was given the the Golden Turkey's music, right? Uh, okay, they won the Golden that. Turkey that year. Nice. <laughs> okay, on to Metropolis. Unless you want to throw in another word, I just want to throw in a little fact that I recently learned about the Razzies. When Halle Berry won a Razzie for Catwoman. She actually accepted it in person because she hated that film. <laughs> <laughs> I'd show up for my Razzie. Of course. <laughs> I would, I'd, I'd be Brando, man. I wouldn't show up for my Oscar. But I'd you'd show up for your Razzie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I told you before that my dream is to be offered a knighthood just so I can turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lennon gave back his MBE. <laughs> nice. But he, he never got uh, Sir Paul's knighting, which he wouldn't have anyway, but... <laughs> Well, you say so, Paul, but we all know Paul's dead. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so there's a guy his who... His stand-in got the night. It's a posthumous night. Sir Denny Lane. Yeah. I don't know. Or one <laughs> of those guys. <laughs> going to stop before we get into any more Beatles shit. <laughs> Thank you. 
mediator between the head and the hands must be the heart. In the future city of Metropolis, the wealthy live in high-rise towers while workers toil underground. Joe Frederson is the city's master. His son Freda lives a life of luxury in a pleasure garden, but is interrupted by the arrival of a young woman named Maria, who has brought a group of the workers' children to witness the lifestyle of their rich brothers. Maria is ushered away, but Freda goes to the lower levels to find her. On the machine levels, he witnesses the explosion of a huge machine that kills and injures numerous workers. Freda hurries to tell his father about the accident. Fredersen asks his assistant, Josephat, why he learned of the explosion from his son and not from him. Grot, foreman of the heart machine, brings Fredersen secret maps found on the dead workers. Fredersen again asks Josephat why he did not learn of the maps from him and fires him. After seeing his father's cold indifference towards the harsh conditions they face, Freda secretly rebels against him by deciding to help the workers. He enlists Josephat's assistance and returns to the machine halls, where he trades places with a worker. Fredersen takes the maps to the inventor Rotwang to learn their meaning. Rotwang had been in love with a woman named Hel, who left him to marry Fredersen and later died giving birth to Freda. Rotwang shows Fredersen a robot he has built to resurrect Hell. The maps show a network of catacombs beneath Metropolis, and the two men go to investigate. They eavesdrop on a gathering of workers, including Freda. Maria addresses them, prophesizing the arrival of a mediator who can bring the working and ruling classes together. Freda believes he could fill the role and declares his love for Maria. Fredersen orders Rotwang to give Maria's likeness to the robot, so that it can ruin her reputation among the workers to prevent any rebellion. Fredersen is unaware that Rotwang plans to use the robot to kill Freda and take over Metropolis. Rotwang kidnaps Maria, transfers her likeness to the robot, and sends her to Fredersen. Freda finds the two embracing and faints like a total drama queen. The false Maria unleashes chaos throughout Metropolis, driving men to murder and stirring dissent among the workers. The real Maria escapes from Rotwang's house and rescues the children, with Freda's and Josephat's help. Grot berates the celebrating workers for abandoning their children in the flooded city. Believing their children to be dead, the hysterical workers capture the false Maria and burn her at the stake. A horrified Freda watches, not understanding the deception until the fire reveals her to be a robot. Rotwang is delusional, seeing the real Maria as his lost hell, and chases her to the roof of the cathedral, pursued by Freda. The two men fight as Fredersen and the workers watch from the street. Rotwang falls to his death. Freda fulfills his role as mediator by linking the hands of Fredersen and Grot to bring them together. The thing people think about when they think about Metropolis is the style and design, and I guess we should get into that first, because that is extremely influential C-3PO. Yeah. (laughs) C-3PO, also literal modern cities. (laughs) Like, outside of cinema, this was the... People took this as a blueprint to actually build the world. (laughs) Like... Well, um, I I know Long... uh, 
the the story is he went to New York City mm-hmm. and saw the skyscrapers at that, that time and extrapolate and that's what he was doing here he was trying to think this is what New York looks like now just grow that like right, yeah but like dish. the way he predicted the growth like five lane freeways aircraft like zip in and out of the buildings they don't zip in and out of buildings oh, helicopters do okay helicopters I I remember do. being on a skyscraper in Tokyo and looking down at sky, um, airplanes and helicopters and it freaked me the fuck out. To be looking at aircraft from above. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I'm with but you obviously, on the you but, don't have like little biplanes nipping in between skyscrapers because that's insane, but. Rolling down the Tokyo freeways takes you much closer to Metropolis than rolling through an American city. You can tell me about England yourself, but. Oh, we don't have anything close to like these kind of cities. London has a bit in the way of skyscrapers. Yeah, that's what I've asked is, what does London do? But, uh, you know, Atlanta, Atlanta, is, my hometown is Atlanta. I haven't been there for a while, but it's uh, considered like a forest city. We have lots of trees, lots of sprawl. You must have a car in Atlanta. Uh, Metropolis seems a little more contained than that. Um, you wouldn't own a car in Metropolis unless you're one of these elite living above all the other folks. It did seem like a bad idea to own a car at all because those were some congested roads. Yeah, exactly. Until, well, the, until the plot needed someone to travel. Well, what's a bad idea to own a car in Manhattan? Because bad idea to own a car in twenty nineteen. Oh, <laughs> I should have mentioned in the last segment, but um, I think it was two thousand two. I worked at a summer camp in Pennsylvania, and for that restoration, it played at uh, the big art center in Greenwich Village, and I, I made a trip to Manhattan just to watch it. Um, I happen to know a place in Manhattan where I could park my car at the time. It oh. may be different 15 years later, and I don't quite remember where it was, but I think it was just just east and north of the village. Okay. So I go there, I park my car, I wouldn't pay. <laughs> in Manhattan. But anyway, nice. I made a specific trip to watch this movie. And uh, I remember walking in the theater because I, I got my hair cut and looked down. and like, that is Metropolis. I went and see, seen the movie. And even in, it was 2002 at the time, I'm still... I'm sure it still holds day, but yeah, the the metaphor was clear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is not a subtle film. <laughs> no place to watch Metropolis like New York City. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, the new Tower of Babel is the Chrysler Building, right? Well, the Chrysler Building went to a gym and lost some weight, but otherwise, sure. Well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, this is literally from the Weimar Republic, right? This is um, impressionist filmmaking. This is exactly Dot the text. moment when you when you roll your you know barrel of uh, your wheelbarrow of Deutschmarks to buy a loaf of bread. Yeah, well, because I remember I, looked, I saw on um, Wikipedia it's like this film was made with a budget of five million Reichsmarks, and I was like, is that a lot of money though? That's <laughs> just a number, man. Like, <laughs> how many loaves of bread would that buy me? Hey, maybe <laughs> money among the elite and money among the proles living that work in the underground city are quite different. Oh, I would imagine so, right? But, <laughs> We'll get into that some more later, but uh, let me just shout out Blade Runner. Yeah. If you put this first scenes of this film from, uh, in, in this film, if you put the first scenes in Metropolis and then you put the first city scenes in Blade Runner, they look really similar. I, the difference is, right, Metropolis, the underground and the overground are very distinct. Or as Blade Runner, it's shit all the way from bottom to top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even that nice office isn't so nice. <laughs> right, and like there's the belching flames and there's the dirty streets all the way up, right? Yeah. I, I guess the most recent overt um, city like this would maybe be the city in the Hunger Games? I was, I, I was going to say that, yeah. 
We need to do that film eventually because you've not seen any Hunger Games, right? I watched the first one until they leave the city and then I got bored. Yeah, we should definitely But I watched the city because it looked like Metropolis. Right, very much so. (laughs) And it was making the exact same unsubtle point, right, about the haves and haves not. So Um, the one design element in here that does get somewhat neglected is the occult magic aspect, which is... Yeah, I was very surprised by that having not seen it. Childhood, I'm... You think the word Metropolis, you see the buildings, you see the robot. It's all technology. Yeah, but the big religious overtones, the imagery, the hallucinations. But let, okay, there obviously there's some religious overtones, but that is mostly from Freyder's guilt, right? Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. All of this stuff is within Freyder's head, right? But, yeah, but let's look at Rotwang. The man, so the religious imagery is Freyder. But Rotwang, the man with the rotted wang, uh, <laughs> his is not religious. He is an alchemist. Which oh, used to be science. He's also a scientist. He's an alchemist and he's a scientist. He has the big old pentagram on the wall and shit. Yeah, it's like right behind the, the man machine, which should be a woman machine. But uh, C-3PO is the man machine, right? Right, yeah. But anyway, there's this big inverted pentagram. The uh, tip meeting right at the, the woman machine's head. It's like, oh, this is an unnatural thing. Yes, yeah. But that, that gets forgotten a lot with Metropolis. Oh, this is a technological vision of the future. Um, but there is a well, lot of grit and grime and alchemy. It was saying something about technology, I guess. The head is technology. The heart is alchemy done well, maybe? I don't know. No, but I mean, just specifically by using those occult images. Yeah. It was saying that about the unnaturalness. Of- should, should I, I, I think I need to uh, define my statement, alchemy done well a bit. What, when you do alchemy, what are you trying to do? Turn lead into gold. That's what we all think. Convert matter, basically. No, it's to convert yourself into your higher being. That is what I see the real goal of alchemy being. Well, which is the goal of science, right? Yeah, but it's, you're science, turning it's yourself into gold, right? Yeah. Because what's gold? It's a metal. You throw it at someone, it's going to put a bruise or worse in their head. Boy, I mean, all value is artificial. But Rot- Rotwang is definitely the um, lead into gold alchemist yeah. with, with the technological know-how. He is not trying to make himself a better person. He's a destroyed person. Yeah, yeah. He's already pretty effed up at the start. <laughs> yeah. And Thanks. we'll talk about that some more. But um, just the amount of old-style occultism, old-style images there in this film I think people forget about. Well, yeah, his whole lab is bubbling, like, t- test tubes and stuff. Oh, it's... Which I know is just how you did labs in those days. easily the equal of uh, Dr. Frankenstein. It's very Dr. Frankenstein. This one's better. He's a robot hand as well. Yeah. Like, I don't think people were doing robot hands in the fucking 20s. Yeah, but they That's brought it back for Dr. Dr. Strangelove in the 60s. <laughs> Luke Skywalker, right? There's another one. Although <laughs> Doctor, well, Doctor Strangelove is overtly modeled after Rotwang. Right. <laughs> now, yeah, now that you say it, I can very much see that. Right. Um, he, is he cinema's first mad scientist? That's what I wrote in my notes, man. <laughs> Again, feature-length cinema. I'm sure there was like a three-minute version of Frankenstein, but... <laughs> Um, let's, let's go a little bit higher than Rotwang, uh, I mean, altitude-wise, and look at the high levels of Metropolis, which is full of proto-Albert Speer Nazi architecture. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, of course, it was not Nazi architecture when they made this film. It's like, this film is not responsible for Nazis. We're not saying that at all. But it did influence those guys. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You look at the, uh, was it the 36 Olympics? Mm-hmm. They were Triumph of the Will. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, I mean, it's... They it's, were trying to capture this imagery, definitely. Right, and, and they did, which, does that taint this imagery? Fritz Lang, I don't think was he. Did, I don't think he had that in mind when he did this. But Absolutely there, not. But there is a pallor over this film as well. Um, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but like, when you have just right at the beginning, you have all those dudes in their. Um, I wrote the homoerotic Olympia. Oh yeah, yeah, the shirtless white guys running. Seems. That ma- that just that made me think of the what 36 Olympics. And if I'm getting the year slightly wrong, sorry, but. <laughs> sounds right also that maybe it sounds a bit late anyway somewhere around there yeah um, yeah because um, the design of this film is fantastic but it's it's a little bit tainted uh, other films have definitely eaten the bullet where um, Birth of a Nation which has the KKK as heroes Triumph of the Will is actually considered to be one of the best documentaries ever made but it wants to make Hitler look like your new Jesus uh, <laughs> This film um, doesn't... <laughs> it depends whether you think a good documentary is one which reflects the truth or one which makes you think something. This is on filmmaking aspects, not on... No, that's what uh, I mean. But, right. but Right, no, but I mean, what is the purpose of a documentary? Mm. Is the purpose of a documentary to project your view of the world or is it to, as neutrally as possible, hold a mirror up to the world? So this film... If it's the former, then yeah, one mm. of them. If it's the latter... One of the worst documentaries ever made. <laughs> yeah, well, this film... Sorry, I couldn't let you literally sit there and say Triumph of the Wills is the best documentary. No, no. <laughs> On a filmmaking level... I knew what you meant, generally... but even so, yeah. I felt like that needed to be challenged by a voice on this podcast. Yeah, okay, probably did. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I took film class in university, and that's what they told me. <laughs> it's a, yeah, no, it's I, terrible, but, oh, it's made really well. Yep. <laughs> and it is made well, but yeah, what it's showing you is completely uh, reprehensible, which is what brings me back to Metropolis. Yeah, 36 was the Olympics. Okay. Do you know how I looked that up? Online? I went to the football podcast that I've subscribed to, <laughs> where they did an episode about the Peru-Austria game in that Olympics. Okay, well, that, that's one way there. Okay, the, the film, the filming, the, the point coming up that... Um, this film obviously is not responsible for the things that follow it, but it influenced some fantastic stuff, Star Wars, Blade Runner, and every other sci-fi. But it does have this weird strain that we should at least look at. Right, but think about present-day Nazis and is the it? shit they love. What do they love? All the same geek stuff we love. That's why they get annoyed when they put women in those films now, right? <laughs> so I don't think you can say that because the Nazis appreciated its artistic value that makes it in any way problematic, right? It, right. The Nazis liked it because it's good. I, I think I Also, mentioned... people who didn't kill six million Jews liked it. <laughs> so, like, I don't think... I don't think it takes it in any way Okay. that it was then co-opted by this evil group. I just want to talk about what happened to the filmmakers real quick. I, we mentioned a little bit already, but Fritz Lang... Yes. Uh, the, he impressed them so much, they asked him to head up their film commission. He ran off to um, America, having recently divorced his wife, Thea von Hebro. He, uh, I probably just said her name wrong, but uh, he was cheating on her. He, he was a Mac daddy, apparently. So um, she, 
she kept working for a while. She's the one that's sketchiest. She joined the Nazi party. Ooh. The writer of the film did join the Nazi party. Supposedly, her husband after Fritz Lang was Indian. Huh. And she claimed she joined the Nazi party so she would have a handle to support the rights of Indian um, immigrants in Nazi Germany. That it, was her claim. It is worth remembering that um, Oskar Schindler was a member of the Nazi party. Right. Joining the party doesn't automatically make you a full-on yeah. bad guy, right? So I don't know if that was an excuse or a real reason, but that was her explanation. And she did marry an Indian immigrant after Fritz Lang. Right. And that's what she claimed. So maybe, maybe that is that is the case. Um, and Bridget the lead, Helm. Bridget Helm, uh, this is the most interesting. She was 21 when she made Metropolis. No, younger than that. Wow. Younger than that, because it took a few mo- uh, movies. It took like two years. years to make, right? Yeah, and, and so the release took a while. So I guess she was probably 19 when she started. Wow. Um, she continued working for several years after that into the late 30s. Once Nazis had actually infiltrated. She quit cinema, right? She quit cinema. She moved away and refused to talk about Metropolis ever again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> briefly touch on the thing which we both said. I I think I've got a crush on a woman who was 84 when I was born. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She she is quite... I mean, she stands out on screen. When you think silent film actress, this um, may be the first image that comes to mind. I couldn't take my eyes off her in every <laughs> single scene she was in. Which is insane. And if you start to take your eyes off her, she'd grab her tit. (laughs) (laughs) That was a weird choice. She does a lot of tit grabbing. But um, the dudes also do, like, heart grabbing, right? Yeah. That's what she was going for. But just when her hand gets there, there's something squishy to grab. Yeah. Robo Maria actually does much less tit grabbing, so I wonder if that was a uh, choice. It was when we got to Robo Maria that I really started to love Bridget It's the eyes. It's everything, though. Those wild eyes. You're like, man, I shouldn't get near you, but I want to. Yeah, yeah, which is (laughs) what the film... The film tells us that's how dudes react to her, right? Mm. But she does that. Like... She seemed both insane, terrifying, and incredible all at once. Yeah, that, that's dating crazy. Um, the initial reviews for this film went all over the place. Uh, it's now considered to be a masterpiece, but the initial reviews, some people really hated it. And uh, But she usually came out clean. People would be like, the actor sucked, but she was great. Mm. <laughs> um, even the director said that he thought it was naive. In a way, but... Sometimes you do need to tell a myth. Well, um, the big one of the big. I mean, I haven't probably haven't done as much research as you. I literally read the Wikipedia page. That's pretty much what I did. But, I've um, done lots of research like years ago too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the big complaint is the film's lack of subtlety, right? But we talked about last week. Sometimes you need a lack of subtlety, and a lot of the extra footage you can get in this restores some subtlety, like. People have been watching Metropolis, like, in Cliff Notes for I'm, I'm literally talking when it was released. Okay. Released. Like, you're talking full, fullest cut we can watch now. Yeah. Still well, maybe, not. though. They were probably still watching the English language slightly shorter cut. Okay. So, you want to get into the themes? Um, I want to go for a piss. So, okay. let's do that after a break. <laughs> piss and themes. I'm going to piss on some themes. We're going to talk about if this movie has any kind of theme to tell you, the 
the mediator must be between the heart and the hands of the heart, whatever. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> that came right. out wrong. I'll say it right a little bit later, but first you're going to tell us about uh, money. Okay, this film was produced for a budget. A budget? A budget. Jones's diary. <laughs> a budget of five million Reichsmarks. Me and Matt were a little confused because this film was made in 1925, 26, and released in 27. And the Reichsmark, obviously in a Third Reich, makes you think of Nazi Germany. But! <laughs> um, so, the Reichsmark was the official currency of Germany from 1924 until 1948, when it was replaced by the Deutschmark. Um, but it, the reason it's called the Reichsmark is because the actual name for the country, the German nation-state from 1871 to 1925, was Deutsches Reich. So I think Reich just means empire, right? Yeah. So the country was called the German Empire. That's what and the these Third Reich are... was anyway. So Third Empire. Right, right, yeah, yeah. The Romans but... were the first. The second, I guess, was earlier Germany? I guess. Yeah, but yeah, we think of... It wasn't until Nazis they started thinking about themselves as an empire again, right? Right. But they already kind of did. Hmm. Because... Germany's quite a young nation, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was formed from, like, city-states. It was, like, the 1860s, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so First Reich is Roman, Second Reich is that. That, oh, uh, yeah. And I guess the Third Reich was, now we take over the rest of the world. Right. And, the, yeah. and the Fourth Reich is, is the Bushes and the Queen. <laughs> you mean the lizards? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the themes... <laughs> the theme... You're finished with your money, right? I guess. I, th- I don't know why I care. <laughs> <laughs> he really cares. We start recording. I, ju- I just like... Okay, the reason I care is because I thought I was right and it found, I found out I was wrong. And I have to make sure I'm right in future. Right. That's why we, that's why we research things. Even yeah. if people tell us certain things. At least we did, right? <laughs> we did. So we, we did just go, oh, Wikipedia's wrong because the Reichsmark was the fucking Nazi, isn't it? Could be wrong. We don't know. It's just... It's just no, Wikipedia always speaks the truth. <laughs> uh, no, don't let me think about how much Wikipedia might be wrong because I get a lot of my facts from there, right? We're, we're like we say, all do now. We all do. Man, imagine if Wikipedia turned out to be evil. It, it probably is. Because no, uh, yeah, it's like not for profit, right? If it doesn't really matter, it might be right. Like, if you, if you look up, like, you know, UFO material, who knows what you'll get on Wikipedia, right? Yeah. If you're looking at Metropolis, I think we're probably going to find some reasonably accurate right. information. Do you know what the last thing I looked up on Wikipedia was before today? What was that? Azerbaijan. That's a country? Yeah. Do you know why I looked it up? Why? <laughs> right, so, at work, we were doing a lesson demo with Matty, our other American teacher. And he's only Matty because I'm Matt. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> We had two mats and we forced him to be Matty so they wouldn't have the same name. <laughs> I said I'd change my name like Zoltan or something, but... I wish they'd let you, man. <laughs> All my heart. Right, but anyway, we were doing a lesson and he was doing... It was meant to be he was practicing for like an ET1 lesson. Which that's if you that's don't know, first graders. Yeah, the first grade of elementary school. And this is their second language. And he was practicing the question like, how many... Da, 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 da. And... He, his example was how many Africas? Because there would happen to be a map of the world up in the room. And we were like, mate, that's a bit difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but then it was our turn as the fake students to ask him how many's, right? So I go, Matty, how many Azerbaijans? <laughs> and do you know what his reply was? What's that? 
English, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the country name's not technically English. <laughs> no, but it is, right? It's the English name for that country. Does it have a different name? I don't know, but like you the English the name for Japan is Japan, right? Right. What's the Japanese name for Japan? Nihon. Exactly, right? So it's an English word. But also, but then he's like, we were, me, and Matt, me and Andrew like both laughed at him. He's like, yeah, well, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not. And we were like, I was like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> he's like, okay, fine. If it's important, give me one historical fact about Azerbaijan. <laughs> I was like, it used to be a Soviet state, right? Oh, I, I mean, I know now because I went and looked it up. So I knew that. I could have again. answered that straight away. Oh, I wish you'd been... Uh, Rob also knew one. <laughs> I wish either of you had been in the room because me and Andrew were like, yeah, we just know that it's called Azerbaijan. And Matt, Andrew knew where it was. Mm. Have you ever tested Andrew on his knowledge of, like, geography? He went to Moscow. No, oh, Andrew can draw a fucking map of the world from memory. I can do that. No, but where every country is. Oh, okay. It's like... I, I've been in many a pub quiz, <laughs> and there were more than a few I'd wished Andrew was there. <laughs> like For geography questions. For ge- geography and soccer. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's it. <laughs> he likes what he likes. That's why he's not on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we get to, like, a sci- I don't know, we, is, is Ben like Beckham a sci-fi movie? I'm going f- to go out my way now to find a sci-fi soccer <laughs> movie just so we can have Andrew on. <laughs> No, but because I love talking to Andrew about films, because he enjoys them at such a surface level. <laughs> and I, I know that I overthink things, right? Mm. So I, I was watch, I watched, like, me and him, purely coincidentally, watched the same showing of um, Hobbs and Shaw, the new Fast and Furious film. I didn't notice until after the film. I came out, oh, it's Andrew! And, like, I'm out of that film, like, oh, this film had some, like, themes about, you know, transhumanism. He's like... Yeah, you know, they punched each other and there was explosions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, if we can't find it, send us your recommendations for a soccer or football, not being American football um, related film. If you really can't think of one explicitly sports based sci fi films, mm. might do it, but soccer is the best. Okay. Because it's, you know, the only good sport. I, I think Fuck I. Fuck the NFL. <laughs> sure. I mean, I watched. Like, all through my teens and my 20s, I would watch the Super Bowl every year. Because, you know, the spectacle and everything. And we'd, we'd have beer and chicken wings and we'd all wear our most American clothes. And every year we'd be like, oh, you know what we should do? This year we should actually watch the NFL. So when we get to next year's Super Bowl, we're into it. And we no. didn't do that. Because watching American football is fucking boring! Yeah, I'd always have a party like where we didn't watch the Super Bowl and did something else. But uh, <laughs> Sorry, let me put you that lasso in. If you, were, if you were on Twitter, you'd be one of those guys who was like, oh, it's the superb owl again. <laughs> Metropolis like, Lasso, Metropolis Lasso. The only Lasso. thing more boring than people going on about sports is people going on about how they don't care about sports. <laughs> okay, I think I've got all this shit off my chest. That's cool. Did I get to the punchline of my story? I don't think so. Like, yeah, so yeah, I looked up Azerbaijan because I needed to have facts in case anyone asked me again. That's a really young nation. <laughs> uh, it was like formed and then two years later was taken over by the Soviet Union. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's it's the first and I think still only secular Muslim state. Ah. It has a predominantly Muslim population, but is a secular in terms of how its constitution is written. And so it's kind of one of the leading lights in that regard. But I think it's done some like huge human rights abuses. You but so is literally every government. So you know. <laughs> you know it's going through my head. Is it like in um? Let me just like, is it like in um? Charlie Brown? No. When the adults speak and you just hear, mwah, 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 mwah. No, I listen to you. I listen to you. What it reminds you of is the time that 
Homer Simpson learned about um, Thomas Edison. <laughs> they had to tell everyone every fact about Thomas Edison. Was this relevant? Because I mentioned Wikipedia, and yes. now I've gone off on one? That's why I'm trying to bring the Metropolis Lasso. Metropolis Lasso. This is going to be our longest episode ever, isn't yeah. it? Fine, this is a long-ass okay, film. Let me, let me try and say it right this time, okay? The mediator between the head and the hands is the heart. I think it's a good message. It is. That's the message of, like, yoga, I think. Um, you know what else that's the message of? What? War of the Worlds. Which one? The original novel. H.G. Wells, okay. Um, the concept is that the Martians have evolved to the point where they are literally a brain, and they build bodies to their need. That's why they look like octopuses, right? Right. Because they are a brain and a hand. They are a mind and the tentacles that manipulate things, and they build bodies to their means. But they are remorseless, emotionless killing machines because they have no heart anymore. Uh-huh. Um, and H.G. Wells did not like Metropolis. <laughs> he described it as, and I quote, silly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. People didn't... It's a little silly. It's a little ham-fisted, but the message, I mean, it makes sense. It's not... Like you said, maybe it's a little naive, but it works. I've made the argument in the past. I don't think anything is a masterpiece if it's appreciated in its own time. Okay. This certainly wasn't. Right. But, like, think of masterpieces. Okay, Citizen Kane didn't do so well. Hmm. Uh, but, I mean, even outside of film, right? Is the original Star Wars a masterpiece? Yes. Sgt. Pepper's is pretty good. Right. Uh, like Bohemian Rhapsody. That did remember? well when it came out, didn't no, it? No, but do you remember the reviews? In, no. um, the film. What's the film called? Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Alright, well, there's a reason I got confused then. It's because the musical is called We Will Rock You, and I couldn't remember which one was which. Um, but no, when they first review out the song, the film flashes up on the screen with the shit reviews. Right? Yeah. Because a true masterpiece doesn't just like. Like, you can be phenomenal, you can be great, you can be perfect within the, the zeitgeist that already exists, right? But a masterpiece pushes the zeitgeist. It's, um, what's the word? It's an, ant- it's an antithesis. Mm. A, the- a thesis cannot be a masterpiece. It riles you up a bit. Right, it, because it, it pushes. It's something new. I'm not necessarily saying this is what I believe, but um, 2017, may- right? I'm a big uh, video gamer. Matt has kind of put those days behind him. Um, I say I'm a big gamer. I'm a Nintendo gamer. I fucking love Nintendo. And Nintendo Switch had two... Two of the best games ever made in its first year. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey. Breath of the Wild completely tore up the rulebook on what a Zelda game was. To the point that I know many Zelda fans who hate it. I think it's the best game ever made. It's my favourite game ever made and blah, 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 blah. But other people hated it. I think the mainstream opinion is that it was good. Right, but it... It did something new. It pushed the boundaries, it broke the rules, and it made enemies. We'll get back to this with Last Jedi. <laughs> Super Mario Odyssey was, um, like, perfect in every way. But it was a Mario game. Mm. It was, um, it was Mario 64 made today. Right. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. But I put down the controller, I finished it, and I stopped thinking about it. Both of those games, though, had precedence. 
Whereas this movie really didn't have one. Right, but no, but this movie's precedent was cinematography and sci-fi, right? Yeah. Have you played Breath of the Wild? One more time? Have you played Breath of the Wild, the new Zelda? Oh, no, no, no. I haven't played Zelda since the DS. Right, it is <laughs> unlike any Zelda other than maybe Zelda 1. <laughs> I like, like Zelda it, 1. it rips up. It, like... Obviously, like, Metropolis didn't not have precedence, right? But it pushed the boundaries. It broke the rules. If Metropolis didn't have any precedence, then, like, it wouldn't film actors in front of a camera and have a script and have a plot and blah, 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 right? Obviously, there are some things you... I'm not saying it has to be completely brand new. It has to be the first film ever. I'm just saying it has to push boundaries and break rules and upset people. So the precedence I'm seeing here is German Expressionism, which sometimes this film is almost clumped in with. It has a lot of that. I've, I've, heard, it, I've de- heard it described as a precedence. It's, it's really not. A but de- also it does have the scenes where it uses imagery to express the themes. Right. Like there is stuff in front of the camera in this film which is not explicitly happening within the universe of this film. Oh, right, like uh, Freighter's LSD dreams. Well, basically, they're all, they're all Freighter things. But <laughs> I would, that is kind of expressionist. Most of the expressionism, I think, is in Rotwang's house when he's chasing around Maria. Like, that is, you know, weird angles and deep right, shadow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, what Metropolis... Batman villains. Yeah, Metropolis' <laughs> actual, actual stock is in that weird futurism, which, you know, does have an influence of German expressionism, but it isn't really quite the same thing. If you want that, you should go watch The, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or something. Oh. Wait, no, I'm getting confused with The Island of Dr. Moreau. You are. <laughs> and it's just, I was about to say, oh, is that the first sci-fi? It's not sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's why this is the first science fiction film and not just another expressionist film, right? Right. Because although it uses some of those themes and ideas and tools, what it's doing is different and new and unique. Yes. And worth discussion. Which is why we're already this fucking long into a podcast. So uh, we went off on some tangents there, which I didn't edit. Uh, <laughs> what do you want to say about Metropolis? Yeah, it's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the criticism of this film, right, is that it was unsubtle in its message that the 1% rule in their ivory towers while the worker, um, you know, strives for them underneath, which in, you know, the 1920s and 30s in mainland Europe was... You don't want to be subtle with that message, right? It was super relevant. You just brought Has up... Has the... it become less relevant? Well, you just mentioned the 1%, right? And this they didn't mention the 1% this morning. Of course, movie. right. They mentioned the 10,000 who live in the above city. I well, think... it's 10,000 times 100, right? So Something like that. Anyway, it was... No, 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 no don't even say 100,000. 100,000 the above city? No, sorry, sorry, no. I'm trying to do maths out loud because it's an audio podcast. <laughs> so, 10,000 times 10, 100,000... Times ten again, one billion. One million. Yes. <laughs> so that's not the one percent. That's the one percent of one million. Okay. Right. That's okay. So it is one percent, but they're living in the above city. No, like but it's one percent it... of a million. Oh, right. If it's just a city. It's a city. So one percent of a city of a population of a million. 
And in the twenties, you would assume your city maybe has a million. Yeah. So ten thousand or whatever. Anyway, they they don't actually bring in the phrase one percent, but it's very clear that the people living in well, aerials. Well, of course, I'm looking at it through a lens of yeah, the year twenty nineteen. Living in aerials, magical garden, and running through the the Olympic uh, stadium. This is the very few. Most of the people are living in these uh, kind of boxy look in large apartments as people do these days as we're recording the podcast well, yeah we're, <laughs> we're recording this podcast in like a six by two cuboid so <laughs> but um it yeah obviously that does resonate pretty loudly today more Unless or less make... so than when it came out i'm gonna say more so i mean because obviously like around the time of this film's release the russian revolution had just happened Ten years earlier. That's pretty just happened. It's, it's in the relatively grand scheme of recent, of course. World War Two was about to happen ten years later. Right. So, it's I a mean, weird time in Germany. It's a weird time on Earth, right? <laughs> now is too. It, it, well, yeah, but that was the time when we called World War One the the war to end all wars, mm. right? Right. The Great War. Because the big joke is What's like great about a war. I saw memes where it's like, um, oh, wars not make one great. <laughs> I see memes where it's like. Um, Wonder Woman. Oh yeah, I fought in, uh, I fought in the Great War. Oh, you mean World War One? World War what? <laughs> like, <laughs> at that point in time, the concept of a World War Two was insane, ludicrous, right? Right. And now you know World Wars are like Terminator films. The one only exists to set up two, right? Like, <laughs> so is the goal here to um, predict the future or to warn about the future? Well, the film ends on an optimistic note. That's my point. We end on this optimistic note, right? So that would make you think, oh, he's just telling us about the future. But, I mean, that could go south the next day. (laughs) Also, like, the start of the film is a very dark future. Yes. So it's just, it's warning us about a possible future, but then saying, ah, but you know, there's hope. If you give the Worker City Netflix there, are they going to be cool? Probably. (laughs) Netflix and chill and toil for the man. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I did note uh, most days I show up for work, I do show up looking like a, a, a underground worker, except for the hat. You you dress pretty colorfully. I got my dark blue, my dark blue. Sometimes, but Sometimes. I, of anyone at work, you you dress the most luridly. It's the ties, but the metropolis. No, but the shirts as ties. well. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I've I've been thinking about getting like some Matt style shirts, but I feel like I'd be stealing your Steves, right? <laughs> so I just wear very bright primary colors instead. Yeah. I like my greens and my pinks. <laughs> Anyway, the, these guys are pretty drab. <laughs> right, but, like, we've worked in jobs where we have to wear a shit uniform. Like, that's not unrealistic. And if you've seen this movie, the image of them kind of uh, tromping through into the, through the gates goes through your mind. Any company where I've had a clocking in machine, it is exactly like this movie, right? Father, father, will ten hours never end? Sounds like me on a Saturday. And it's also a quote from this movie. Yeah. It goes back to... Do you remember when we were talking about Logan's run? Yeah. And you were like, um, in the novel, you know, the joke is they work like these three-hour three, three hour days and it seems over too much. Twice a week. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, so when I first came to Japan, I spent three months just like traveling. And then I got a job at a hostel for two months where my shift was like three hours a day, three times a week. <laughs> And it felt like too much. <laughs> <laughs> How can I explore with this onus on me? Right. I know. And I fucking, I spent those months like barely going on all my adventures. Just like, oh, just sit at home and play video games. I've got to work. <laughs> like, now I work an actual full time. Well, not even compared. Like 
and full-time Japanese job is insane, right? Yeah. Like, we are well insulated plus. from what the Japanese employees do. Yeah, that's full-time all access. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, you know, it isn't... You know how you invited some, you know, some scorn from fuckers on the internet? I didn't invite that, did no, I? No, in previous episodes. Maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm about to take all the heat. Um, <laughs> it is not the natural state of the human being to give 30 to 40% of your waking hours to someone else's profit. The workers should rise up. Communism was right. <laughs> <laughs> so also, automation is a good thing. <laughs> so what's your opinion of uh, Frieder's son, who is the father? Frieder's son is a podcast bitch! <laughs> Maria should have done it without him. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a fa- that, that's the father, right? I'm, oh. I'm, I'm talking about dad, the guy that runs the right. city. Just to go down to something. Yeah, Frieder is a, Frieder is a punk ass bitch. fucking dumb that the father is called Frieder's son. That's what I was getting at. The son is called Frieder. Yeah, I tried, I tried to <laughs> glide you in and but you, you didn't get, catch me. I actually got caught off guard by it because it's so fucking dumb. I did get confused writing my notes. I'm like, am I, am I giving you the right name? It's Frieder. Frieder's son's son. Like... <laughs> What? The, gra- the grandfather is Frieder, and then no, Frieder, Frieder is the son. Frieder, comma, Friederson's son. <laughs> okay, anyway, I'm, I'm trying to talk about the uh, oh, lead Friedison. architect. All right, yeah, yeah, Andrew tra- Ryan. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought you called him a punk-ass bitch, which is also fine. No, 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 no. Go... he's just a straight-up cunt. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he is the villain that is absolutely sure that what he's doing is right. Right, like all capitalists. <laughs> Who are right? villains. Okay. They, are, they are villains. That is the official message of this podcast. <laughs> but he seems sure that he's doing the things that are right. Where I, I, I don't know. I feel like in the real world, some, some, of, the, some of the capitalists probably know they're not doing oh, the right but Most thing. of them are like, oh, what is right? The bottom line goes up. <laughs> so maybe is Metropolis a city run by corporation? Is that what we're looking at? We... It seems to be. Yeah. Like it's a, comp- a city which was built and is run by a corporation. Right? So is that a warning? Is that the warning that this movie is actually trying to make or that we're just taking from it now because we want to? Who the fuck knows, right? Well, I mean, of course, but, but... It seems to be, right? Yeah. Because it slaps you around the face with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no... Not that voting probably does any good anyway, but there's no hint of rule by the people or rule of, uh, of democracy right, well, or anything. Like, there could be, right? Because it, it posits a world somewhat like the one we live in where it doesn't really matter who the elected officials are because They're bought and paid having for. a lot of money is more powerful than having power anyway. But uh, let me let me go into the weird vision. The people that we see in power are the people that are bought and paid for. And the people that are in power are the people that have the money and don't and want their privacy. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean I guess I'm trying to place uh, readers in that continuum. Um to make a point which you yourself made, right? Um Bernie won the argument even though Hillary won the election. But then Bernie the supported power Hillary. Is Oh yeah, because you have to at that point. Why? Why do you have you to? Don't. You don't because the opposition was Trump. <laughs> but I could say with Trump the opposition was Hillary, like with both of them. Yeah, but Hillary wasn't gonna put any Mexicans in camps, man. <laughs> Are you <laughs> like, sure? Maybe she'd just be a lot more quiet No, she would have put Muslims in Obama, camps instead. Obama, like, <laughs> Obama put Mexicans in camps. Uh, Bush I mean, well, Jr. This, put Mexicans in camps. Uh, suppose, Clinton put Mexicans in camps. They all did. Um, 
Hillary, well, Mia McGrath would have had this argument, and I feel like, I guess Bernie was just on her side of this specific argument. Is it better to have someone who deliberately does evil things and is intelligent, or someone who does evil things because they're a fucking idiot? <laughs> I, I would say it's more about transparency. Oh, yes. Do it, I but, see what you're but doing? In this specific argument, assuming there is no transparency, and you were the only one who knows, right? Your choice is someone who is explicitly evil and deliberately and intelligently does evil things. Friedersen. I'm thinking like I'm just trying Boris to in, Johnson. I'm just, that too, but I'm just trying to paint into our <laughs> or as well. someone who does evil things because they're a fucking idiot and doesn't realize. That's Rotwein. Right. But in your head, which would you choose? Hmm. Rotwang's pad is pretty cool. No, but just, just based <laughs> no, on, on sorry, what yeah. I just told you, right? Trump or Hillary. I'm gonna, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with the idiot, actually. Me too, right? Yeah, okay. Because I feel like <laughs> maybe he can come around, right? You could, you make If you make him understand that he's done a bad thing. Yeah. Whereas like Boris Johnson, the British elite, right? These fucking lizard people. I assumed he was an idiot. Is he? Oh, no, that's a crafted persona. He, but obviously like, not with his haircut. <laughs> no, he has though. That's the thing, right? Okay. He's crafted this persona of an idiot who didn't craft his persona. Um, but like, I mean, Trump has done some fucking dreadful things, right? <laughs> but I don't think he understands that he has. Right. Like, I mean, the easiest argument you can make, he didn't want to be president. No. He wanted an election to raise his profile. And start a new reality show, probably. He didn't want a fucking a day job. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Whereas Clinton explicitly wanted to become president, to have this power, and to bomb Israeli children. I, okay? I heard something of uh, Trump. No, no, Israeli children. To, no, sorry, she wanted to bomb the children that the Israelis were bombing. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and start some open air slave trade in Libya, I guess. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, you know, fund some Saudi Arabian terrorists. Yeah. Meanwhile, Trump apparently was pissed off that they made fun of him at, like, the press dinner, and I'll show them I'll become president. Right. I guess like, he showed them. But, yeah, that's the thing. Like, um,. <laughs> Right, so the thing is, so um, Frederson actively and intelligently, how did we get onto this? Well, no, no, you're right, on we're right. Bernie, right. Yeah. So Bernie chose that he thinks it's better to have someone who knows what they're doing than an idiot, which is a valid decision. That's the decision my girlfriend makes. <laughs> Whereas me and you probably would have been like, Trump's better than Hillary. I don't want either of them. You know what I did in 2016? I Abstain, very right? much on purpose did not vote. <laughs> I, I, I think 2016 Luke would have voted Hillary. Mm. Because, I, because if I whole... voted, I would have, but I'm glad I didn't. Right. <laughs> Maybe 2019 Luke would have like, voted Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah, I would have done that, but I lived in Japan, so it's it actually involved me ass, like, right? yeah, it was a pain in the ass. Uh, if no, I, I have, because I used to live in Somerset. Um, I literally grew up in the city where Hot Fuzz was filmed. <laughs> And it's like that. <laughs> yeah. So our choice was between the fucking conservative asshole or the slightly less conservative asshole. So I have, in the past, put in a vote for Donald Duck. Because <laughs> uh, Donald Duck's better than Mickey, right? Yeah. So I'm just wondering, <laughs> I'm just wondering the word of Metropolis of Frederson is the, um, is the ruler that people know about or the guy behind the curtains? He Wait, does he's have behind curtains. the curtains, right? He does have some curtains in his place. Does Metropolis have a facade right. of I, democracy? I think Frederson is a guy behind the curtains. Metropolis has a Hillary. And we just don't see them. Right, because they don't matter. They don't matter, right? <laughs> In the same way that Hillary didn't matter. Obama yeah. didn't matter. Trump, Trump doesn't matter. <laughs> no, but Trump scared a lot of people because he implied that he could matter. We at least pissed in the punch ball. But before that... <laughs> he did before, piss in it. Before he was the president, he was a Fredersen, right? 
He's put a lot of money into these politicians. No, I think. I he, mean, he's not actually. I think he would have been like a owned a large. He would have owned the Yoshiwara district. Yeah, he's seen. not afraid of him. He no. likes to think he is, but he's not. Right? He, he, he's the guy that owned Yoshiwara. The funny thing about Trump when you complain about the rich. He's not that rich. Yeah. Frederson, <laughs> we don't know because he hangs out behind the curtains, which are actually prominently displayed when we first see him. Yeah, he's like a... Uh, I can't remember the names of any of the, the rich cunts who rule the world. <laughs> Epstein? He's dead, maybe. He's dead, but he did not kill himself. It was deliberate. It was the government. Read some facts. Or maybe he's not dead. I'm pretty sure he's dead. What if, what if he did a service? Because, um... Oh, okay. If, they, if he was... That was uh, his out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the, the whole point is... He the, didn't kill himself. That's the, the narrative. Or, or what if he was forced to kill himself and he did? You gotta do it. Or we'll shoot you. That's, no, you've been living in Japan too long. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have. I guess people outside Japan wouldn't buy that I one. I don't think he, he committed... Um... But yeah, but the, that stuff goes on with Trump. Joseph, that's, that's Epstein. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's sent off, which is basically, you know, it's, I, I mentioned, is this the same world as 1984? Once Joseph Frederson's secretary is dismissed for not being good enough. It's like, how soon till that guy takes a bull in the back of his, of his head? Well, I think the, what they were implying is that you are a man held in high esteem, so when you dismiss someone, he's not going to get a job anywhere else. But that man that was dismissed may have actually been the public figure, for all we know. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we're not explicitly told his job title or anything, right? No, I don't think so. So he could have, like, he was like the company president. Is he the president of this? Is he the mayor? Or is he the company president of the city? Is there a difference? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, I can't promise we won't go on more weird tangents, but <laughs> I, I do want to get, uh, just push out a few things from the film. Uh, square dancing. Was there square dancing? When they're burning or flooding the city or whatever they're doing, all the workers are so happy they start, it's not real square dancing. Yeah, it's so weird. Are they, are, where they all join hands? It's just like dancing around in circles. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I mean, if you've been to a good old-fashioned witch burning, that's probably what they get up to. I guess. And the old-fashioned witch burning is notable, too, because um, uh, Freighter's son, the senior, the senior freighter, yeah. he is constructing a false flag here. He sees, oh, the workers are actually getting, you know, the withdrawal to rise up. So he replaces Maria as basically a false flag. Very and explicitly his plan, right? That's explicitly his plan, which is the same way that we, uh, the U.S. got into Vietnam. The Gulf of Tonkin didn't really happen and was admiraled by Jim Morrison's dad. A similar thing there. That's the same way Japan got into um, their war with China. What was that? They faked a bombing on a train or something like that. Is that is that how you get consent to do to? Yeah, uh, uh, it fucking Hitler did it. <laughs> yeah, Hitler did right. Hit, Hit, fire. Uh, no, no, but even um, in World War Two, he created a fake attack by the Polish before he invaded Poland. Okay, because he got into oh he did that yes. Yeah, he even went, when you are like because he had a bunch the, of German officers like shot yeah, right. Even yeah. when you are the fucking biggest dictator asshole in the world, you still create a false pretense before you go to war. Right. 
And and that's how he got in Reichstag fire. Um, you know the Gulf of Tonkin. I don't want to move forward in history past that to be honest, because I don't want to get too. It's unnecessary, quick. right? But <laughs> <laughs> they happen, and and this film tells you very clearly that that happens because he very clearly sets it up. Right, but I mean, before this film, were people talking about that? No, of course not. Or well, maybe they were. I don't know. I mean, I haven't read a lot. What have I read? What have I seen and or read earlier than this film? I've There's, read Dracula. I've read Frankenstein. Okay, uh, I will tell you a book from 1927. I'm not going to get into it much now, but uh, anyone listening and you, uh, look at Edward Bernays' book Propaganda. Propaganda. Okay. The the title. I, I actually read it a few months ago. And What's it, it about? <laughs> no, he spells out all. What does stuff. he take a propaganda at? <laughs> <laughs> How to manipulate the uh, public mind, obviously. Uh, but yeah, Freder is clearly doing that in this movie. Okay, so we get. Oh, I've read Machiavelli. I've read Sunset. I'd say Bernays is kind of like a somewhat more modern Machiavelli. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something and, and but I mean in terms of like pop culture well that's my point Bernays what he's talking about is much more in line with what happens in pop culture these days right than say Machiavelli that's that's doesn't really yeah quite but what I mean is it. like when Metropolis came out within pop culture were people talking about false flags faking it to start a war I don't know I don't know who knows I mean like, we, we always assume people like a hundred years ago, five thousand years ago, were dumber than us, but they probably weren't. No, <laughs> I mean maybe like technology, science, shit like that. Right, they were less aware than us. They might have been more aware. They just might have not been as techy. I mean, right. maybe they could see this stuff right on the wall. You know, no, I mean, like there are technical things I can do which they couldn't do because I have knowledge, but that doesn't mean they were less smart. That's why IQ tests are bullshit, right? Mm. Because they test your knowledge based on a cultural version of what knowledge is. I tested pretty well on that, though. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but yes, I agree. It's bullshit. It is nice to have a nice score, though. I know. But it's still bullshit. Uh, Babylon. Babylon Bab- 5? No, Babylon. The Horror of Babylon. Sarah Mathis. Uh, Moloch, who gets the most awesome... Uh, that was, because I, I, I was watching this film, like, eh, and I got the mock, but I was like, what the fuck is happening now? Hello. And those are good effects. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping people up. Uh, also, that imagery. Express yourself. No, but I mean, hey, it, I, hey. the fucking, the prisoners being led to the thing and chucked in, right? That's all Babylon, man. No, but that, Germany did that, like, ten years later. The Nazis did like this film, for better or for worse. Right, but, like... <laughs> did they get the right message? No. <laughs> but, but, like, that's weird that this imagery existed before, you know, that shit went on. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that was just a moment I was like, wait, when was this made? Wait, what? <laughs> like, that's, that's because weirdness that's it. a thing. This pattern goes back all the way there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's not, it's, the cultural know, touchstone for us in the White West... And Japan, but culturally within the White West is, oh, you know, Nazi Germany was the only extermination that happened. It wasn't. No, like, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, right? Right, yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. You can put them in a, you can paint them in particularly bad colors if you want, you know, but. <laughs> but to see in a film that imagery used before where my mind thinks that imagery comes from just reminded me that's yeah. not where, that's not where it started or where it ended. No, I mean, how many deaths do you need to be indirectly responsible for before you're reprehensible? One? One hundred? One thousand? Well, um, Where, where's the line? What's the Stalin quote? <laughs> One death is a tragedy. A million is a number. Exactly. 
Um, who feeds their blood to their machines? The stonecutters. That's not the right <laughs> melody, but that went through my mind. <laughs> we do. We do. There we go. You know the song. See, I'm oh, just, yeah, stonecutters, uh, my friend. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that went through my mind watching all the various... Uh, this movie has cabals on both sides when you get right down to it. <laughs> who keeps the Martians under wraps? We do. No we Martians do. in the Metropolis. Or they kept them under wraps that well. Um, we have been going on... Do you want to get any major points here? We've gone all over. I think we actually did hit most of the themes on this I've movie. I've gone off my fucking nut. I don't even remember what I said. <laughs> no, I'm looking through my notes and we actually... I mean, we did it weird and indirectly. You know um, what we haven't talked about yet? What's which that? is insane, but also... It was insane when I watched the film and realized, robots? Like, I think about Metropolis, I think of, oh, the robot. Oh, it's a man machine, which should be a woman machine. Robot, right, but it's... it's Roman. Roman. Uh, robot was, I think, I think it was invented, it was a Russian writer who did around this time. In the English-speaking world, took Asimov 10 years later, I think. Okay. So here's the thing. Um, I've read iRobot, but it was a while back, I don't remember that well. Does iRobot feature any robots that look like humans? Yes. Uh, iRobot, the short story, I don't know, but Asimov, he's got novels. He's got a robot series. iRobot is a collection of uh, short stories. um, They start off very inhuman. They slowly become more human. And um, in his later books, he's got robots that look completely human and actually have, like, mentalic skills. Well, that's, um, yeah, it must, right, because Bicentennial Man isn't Asimov. Yeah. So he obviously did. But um, this predates Asimov anyway, so it's a redundant point. This is way is for Asimov. Is this the first mechanical man that looks like a human? I th- but really, this movie, um, all the occult stuff and all the old world stuff, it's not. It's halfway between Robot and Gollum. Not, yeah, no, definitely. Go, go, not, Gollum? Not Gollum, that's Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what's the term? It's, Gollum. It's, Gollum. That is the word. Gollum. I'm just putting it. G-O-L-E-M. I'm I'm just, just, I... Would pronounce it Golem were it not for Lord of the Rings as Golem. Okay, like, Golem. I mean, this is as much a Golem as it is a... Uh, right, but told through the the visual medium of science rather than magic. But it has as Ish. much... It's Ish. got. <laughs> no, that's my point. The magic is equal. Right. Rotwang is... The visual design of the character, the machine man. I've forgotten the German from man. I'm sorry, Mensch. Mensch. Yeah. The machine and Mensch. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, is mechanical, right? It's yeah. Metal parts, and you can see where the joints are. So the the idea is, oh, this is a golem made by science. You know what it really was? Sorry, finish your point for it's me. It's Frankenstein's monster, but it, no. oh, totally. <laughs> I'd already. <laughs> but um, no, no, my, my the point labs. is only like this is one of, if not the earliest version of humanoid machine taking people's place. Yes, and we haven't talked about it much yet. No. That's probably because we just finished doing a Terminator. <laughs> right, but yeah, that was the thing. Like, uh, my because, uh, like I said, I haven't. I had until I watched it for this podcast. I hadn't seen this film since I was a child, so I didn't remember most of the the plot or anything. Blah 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 blah. See, I often go. I remembered some very series. specific images. One of those was the robot, the machine. Looks like C three PO. Well, it looks like every version of a robot on screen for the next 50 years. Yeah. Um, so I didn't remember that they made it look human. But they did. And I was like, oh, it's a Terminator. <laughs> it even gets burned up in a fire and you mach- see the machine underneath at the end. Like, <laughs> Can I throw in just a few uh, bits about the, the uh, few tales of the actress in this case? 
Absolutely not. So this has been Matt and Luke's Cypher Sanctuary on Twitter. <laughs> so I just want to say the costume, uh, she actually was in the mm. Machine Man. It was made out of like metallic looking wood and apparently gave her bruises and cuts and shit. Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah, no, no, I, I knew it was her the whole time. And Fritz Lang insisted on using fire for burning the robot Maria. That's okay, it's the robot Maria burning. But that's the actress in the shot. Right. And he insisted on using real fire and apparently her dress caught on fire. Dope. Yeah, (laughs) and and they had kids and extras like sitting. He intentionally had the water cold so he'd be uncomfortable filming the underwater flooding scenes. Oh, yeah, Like, Lang was a bit of a dick. (laughs) Dick move. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, Working on this film might have not been so awesome. <laughs> God, the more I hear about her, the more I'm in love with Bridget Helm. <laughs> <laughs> and you're off to time travel on a glowing ball and appear naked in front of her through your time traveling glowing balls in Terminator movies. How did you know what I fantasized about last night? <laughs> <laughs> So do you, Luke, think this new release will stand the test of time? (laughs) (laughs) The fight scenes aren't great. (laughs) This is a film from before fight choreography was a thing. It's made up with all those models and effect shots. (laughs) I mean, obviously there were bits where like, oh, okay, that's a matte painting. But like just sets and shit. They're great matte paintings too, though. (laughs) Like, this looks fucking good <laughs> it still this, does this looks no that's what i mean i didn't say this looked good i said this looks good this looks good in a way that like the phantom menace doesn't <laughs> yeah like, that looks more dated doesn't it yeah this film has aged better than that like <laughs> uh the the rec- more recent not recent but more recent time machine certainly is better than that that looks like crap uh oh, first, yeah i watched that not that long ago i thought it looked like crap uh but it used a lot of like Actors in suits and stuff. I haven't seen it since it was new, so... Metropolis still looks also, good. Also, <laughs> I watched it on, like, a laptop screen. Yeah. I bet it looked... A lot of, how many films are we going to cover on this podcast where I watch it on my laptop and it looks good and you watch it in HD? Well, this, this looks good in any way, though. This, this, yeah, because this most looked, of what you see was in front of a camera. This looked good when I was watching on blurry VHS, which seemed to be a print from someone that filmed a camera like a screening of it. I mean, right. it looked like hell. Yeah. Not, not the character hell, but the one with HD... H-E double hockey sticks. Um. <laughs> so, you know, we were talking about swear words between Britain and America. <laughs> I still find it so funny that Americans think hell is a swear word. Yeah, that's why it's cut. And then the Nazis cut it more. The, the real ones, not the, yeah. <laughs> that's why like, we had to watch a crap version of this so long. But uh, yeah, it just, it holds up so well. Um, the story, it, it, I guess it was naive at the time. Is it more naive now? Is it less naive? Is it about the same? What do you think? It's about the same, but I don't care. Yeah, like, more people should watch this fucking film. Sometimes you And then also smash the machines. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you do need to be told very directly, you know? Well, I mean, we talked about this last episode, right? Like, yes, sometimes a message can seem heavy-handed. But also, some people need to be dealt with with a heavy hand. This is a button you can press very hard. Yeah. (laughs) And they do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you ever in your life meet a billionaire, like, if tomorrow you meet, um, like... I forgot his name. What's the Facebook guy? Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah, him. But what's the Amazon guy? Uh, Jeff Bezos. Bezos, yeah. If you meet Zuckerberg or Bezos tomorrow, punch them in the face. <laughs> punch them as hard as you possibly can. 
like spread your legs, get a good stance, wind your hips up, pull your arm back, and punch them in the face. <laughs> like punch them so hard their nose goes back into their skull and they die. That's, That's a murder the official punch. message of this podcast. That's a murder punch. If you meet a billionaire or a Nazi, punch them in the face. Murder punch them. Yeah. But don't. Don't kill it. Don't hurt anyone. No, but don't hurt, like... Use you your know, mind powers. Don't hurt, like, normal people, but you punch know what? Jeff Bezos to death. <laughs> but if you can, like, use your psychic power to psychically punch them. No, but before cool you do it, delete us from your podcast feed. <laughs> Unfollow us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Just forget you ever heard anything about us, and then take your Delete punch. Delete us from your manifesto. <laughs> then punch Jeff Bezos to death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Any more? We're- Zuckerberg, Bezos. Metropolis. Uh, Trump, I mean, he's not actually a billionaire. Fuck him. Um, all right, any more about the film? <laughs> I, I think we're good here. I mean, you can always... Here's the thing. You can write books about this film. You can do 87 more podcasts. People have, this, right? People like, have. Uh, we went on weird tangents ourselves, but... <laughs> um, okay. What we haven't talked about. Did you enjoy sitting and watching this? Yeah. I, I, uh, I was kind of mumbling under you. I regularly put this... I put a CD player. I get the CD, put in some music I want to hear, like usually ambient or classical. I put this movie on and fall asleep watching it regularly. Right. Um, so I watched it for the podcast one or two nights ago. I have put scenes on since then. There you go. Like, it is a bit long. It's really long. In a way that uh, I love. I do fall asleep before the movie ends when I do this. In a way, like, three of the four, three of the five Transformers films are over two and a half hours. And this drags about as much as them. But, like... Marauder version. 83 minutes, man. Yeah, but the soundtrack... Yeah, and you want also the, the weird colors. I don't like that. No, no, no. You should watch you the know, 2010 well, right. restoration. Picture the the machine man in your head. What color is it? Gold. Oh, really? So I picture it silver. Ah. So I'm used to the black and white image. I think C3PO. No, see, I, I see it as its own thing. Okay. Okay, I, I tell you what I think. I think Cyberman. I can see that. That's the British in me. <laughs> no, everything except for the. See, you asked the wrong thing. Everything in this movie is in stark black and white with high contrast. But the machine is gold. Yeah. I would watch that cut. <laughs> just goldify the machine. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Little Red and Rotwang's place just for the Satan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, like, for example, if, like, Shen was here right now, she wouldn't sit through this film with me, right? Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she, but she doesn't watch a lot of film, right? Right. But if you're someone who does enjoy watching film, it's, it, ha- it holds together. It has a good plot. It has great characters. It has a phenomenal actress like <laughs> playing both the lead hero and villain of this film <laughs> it's, it's just good, like man. Face Off man it's good and watchable it's as good as Face Off it's better than Face Off <laughs> it's, it's at least in the same league as Face Off there like, we go <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was being I was that was a joke man yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you probably need to spell that out for the listener <laughs> yeah sometimes you don't want to be so <laughs> No, yeah, um, this is fucking good. So if you've been listening to this and you haven't watched the film yet, thinking, I just want to hear about this film, you, you should watch it. It's also, like, it's on, like, YouTube and stuff. It's just, it's out of copyright. You can watch it anytime you want. <laughs> There's some weird actual things about that, but that's not that is, is there not a version of, like, the two and a half proper cut on YouTube? I don't know. Maybe. You can find enough of this film to at least, like, wet your whistle and then, you oh, know, you if, can get... if you enjoy that, then you can. You can watch it. a shorter cut and still, like, and if you're like, the story doesn't make sense, watch a longer one and it will. Yeah. Like, there are 
You can, yeah, you can get a taste. Right? <laughs> but, okay, uh, where do we find you? Uh, I'm on us, Twitter. Us, us, yeah, us, you should find you, us on us, Twitter. Us. We're on Twitter at MLSFSPod. Um, and also, if, however you're listening to this, like if it's on YouTube, give us a like. We're not on YouTube yet. No. Scratch that. <laughs> but what? <laughs> I don't want to create work for myself. <laughs> Whatever podcasting app you're using to listen to this, make sure you like and subscribe, rate and review, blah, blah, blah. Five stars. Always, of course. Or the maximum more. number or of stars. More. Maximum number of stars, because we're that good. Um, and, you know, go on Twitter, follow us at MLSFSPod. Go on Facebook, search for Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. If you're listening, let us know. Just drop us a tweet or a message, say, yeah, I'm listening, it's all right. Because we don't have access to numbers. <laughs> if you get me late at night, I'll start ranting to you. <laughs> if you get Matt at any time of day, he will start ranting at you. <laughs> I know. I work with this man. <laughs> um, but then also, on a, you know, if you like us specifically, you can find me on Twitter at Buscalilly. It's a nonsense word. I do another podcast about Pokemon called Luke Loves Pokemon. And Matt creates music at the uh, roamingsagemedia.bandcamp.com. Much of it inspired by old sci-fi films, but not really by Metropolis because it doesn't have such a sci-fi soundtrack. No, no. But no. what about the the eighties cut? That was synthy, man. I bet that was. Uh, here's what I want to do: Kraftwerk, the German band, had had it uh, on their album, The Man Machine, had a track entitled Metropolis. So okay, there's, there's that. I, I didn't make that. I think that, I have in the past liked Kraftwerk. I should listen to that. Yeah, so I'm not putting it here because it's copyrighted. But you know, go find yourself some. Kraftwerk Metropolis, um, Love Kills Freddie Mercury. Uh, Maybe less so. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Bicycle Ride by Queen also uses Metropolis shots. I'm not surprised. Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation has. Oh, some um, what's the Madonna one that uses? Special self. Yeah. Hey, hey, I already sang that to you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, this has been Matt. This has been Luke. It's time for you to get the fuck out of our sci-fi sanctuary. Metropolis. Does this does this movie have any themes? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's just a fun adventure story, right? Yeah, it's a fun adventure story. This was before Hollywood started trying to push agendas. This was the good old days. No, nah, they were trying to push agendas from the beginning. I was being facetious, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> but this is in Hollywood. This is Germany. Uh, the by far largest budgeted 5 million Reich 
Reichmark's film of the time. Uh, was so, it right? Were they calling them Reichmarks? Deutsch, I, I think I said Deutschmarks earlier. And yeah, then you but said I, when I looked on Wikipedia, I swear it said Reichsmarks. He's checking. I know that the, Knights, the Nazis didn't invent the word Reich, you know, because it was the Third Reich. Yeah. So presumably, you know. Fourth one's in control now. <laughs> I want to look on the Wikipedia page for Metropolis, right? Do you know what I typed into Google? What's that? Wikipedia. <laughs> well, that'll get you started. Am I a fucking grandfather? <laughs> um, okay, Google. <laughs> anyway, um, we don't even need to Google. Obviously, the uh, film's yeah, Reichsmarks. Set five million Reichsmarks. Even in the 20s. 1925. Okay. Was the currency from 1924 until 1948. Why did they call it that in 24? Well, I mean, I'm genuinely not sure. I gotta learn some more German history. <laughs> it was a replacement for the Papiermark. The what? A Papiermark. Let me see it. Papiermark. Papiermark. Paper, paper, dollar. Right, that's why I said Papier. 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 Great, now I feel like I'm uh, in Italy. Papier, may I have more snacks? <laughs> Okay, the Reichsmark is the mediator. It replaced the shilling in Austria. Um, they have shilling. When I went to now they have euros. When I went to Austria, they had shillings. Huh. That was the nineties. I was hoping that I would live to see the day the UK had euros. <laughs> I think that dream has died. <laughs> I don't know what's happening there. <laughs> no one does, my friend. <laughs> like, wow. I'm just very glad that I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, I usually say the same thing about the States. <laughs> yep. Huh. The paper mark was not directly replaced by the Reichsmark, but by the Rentenmark. So this movie cost some amount of money, which apparently was a fair amount of money. But I know this isn't good interesting, but I genuinely want to know. <laughs> and until I find out why... <laughs> <laughs>